Charmed, and welcome back to Let Me Ruin Your Life with me, Serena Shahidi. Hello. How is everybody? It's uh, it's a lovely day here in New York. It is hot as hell. It's like 85 degrees outside and my air conditioner is not on because I'm recording and it is too goddamn loud. So I am feeling quite toasty, but I do it for the people. So you're welcome. How is everybody? How are you? You feeling good? I'm feeling good. The latest development in my life, I don't know if this is progress or the opposite of progress, a regression, if you will, but I'm taking a little break from therapy. That's my latest thing. I, you know, I might go back. I'm, we're calling it a break. We're calling it a break, but I'm over it right now. I feel like it's been a bit of a long time coming. I don't know if you guys are in therapy, but there are times, there are stretches where you just go for several sessions with nothing to talk about. And I mean, I just started telling my therapist about like what movies I was watching, what I had for breakfast. I was like, I was giving him gossip. I was giving him celebrity gossip. It was all sorts of things. It was, we weren't really working on anything anymore for better or for worse. Cause I think I kind of had nothing to talk about for a while. Cause I'm not really, this is sort of an announcement. I'm not really that crazy anymore. I'm not. I mean, you know, I'm I'm quirky. I'm a little silly. I'm a little goofy. But I'm not that crazy anymore to the point where I need to talk to a professional once a week, which is exciting. That's very exciting because when I, uh, I've been in therapy on and off for a while, but this latest stint has been like a year and a half. And when I came in, oh, things were rough. I mean, let's just say I was really quirky. You think I'm goofy now? Honey, I was... What's that character, Goofy? Was he a dog? Honey, I was him. That's what it was. And I was just thinking, and I was like, do I really... I feel like I'm an on-and-off therapy kind of girl. That feels like who I am. I don't think I want to be in therapy, even with my beloved twink therapist, and shout out to him. I don't think I want to see him every week for the rest of my life. Maybe on and off, but not every week for the rest of my life. Because I feel like when you're in therapy for a while, you get in this mode of like, let me solve these problems. Let me improve. Let's let's try to get to the bottom of this, whatever this is, even if it's like a problem that isn't that much of a problem. Why do I wait so long to pack before I go to the airport? Let's get to the bottom of this. Who gives a fuck? Whatever. I end up packing. Yeah, I forget some stuff. There are stores in other locations. It's fine. And I think just being in that mode for too long makes me start thinking more like, what what should I be doing? What's the reaction I'm supposed to be having in this situation? All these shoulds, as they call them. And CBT should statements, even though that's not really what therapy is. It's not about the shoulds, but they show up. The shoulds show up. They show themselves when you start going to many of those sessions. And I've gotten to a point where I'm like, you know what? I think things sometimes got to be the way that they are. 
And I don't know if I need to keep doing this when there aren't huge things interfering with my life. Like, I'm, I'm fine, generally. Let me make my little mistakes. And let me take some time off and really develop some new problems to come back with. That's what I told him. I was like, listen, I'm gonna, we're gonna take some time apart, right? It's not you, it's me. I'm gonna go come up with some new shit to be crazy about. Because right now I don't have much. And then I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to come back to you at some point. So that's where I am now. Out of therapy. Get off the streets. I'm out of therapy. Here I am. Imagine if this just became like my Joker era. And the, the let me ruin your life listeners were like, this is where it began. She had it together and then she broke up with her twink therapist and look at her now. What did the Joker do in that movie? I don't really know. I'm still blown away by the fact that the Joker is like, I thought he was a supervillain. I was like, they're making all these movies about this guy. I guess he has some sort of superpowers, like good for him. Turns out he's just some guy. He's just like an unstable, failed comedian who wears too much makeup. Hello. Oh, boy. Anyway. There's going to be a golden bachelor. Have you guys heard? The Bachelor franchise is introducing a new show. This is fascinating to me. And I've never watched more than like 15 minutes of The Bachelor, but I might now because they're introducing a new show. It's called The Golden Bachelor, and it is with an old fella. It's with uh, a fella who is in the winter of his life and is looking for love. So they introduced him. His name is Jerry. Perfect old guy name. Incredible branding there. And he is 71 years old, which is very impressive. If you look up the pictures, I tweeted out um, the pictures of him quote tweeted being like, and what if I show up? What then? Because this fella, not bad. For 71, look up a picture of this guy. Not bad at all. I'm not saying I would go for it. I'm just saying if they wanted to cast me, I'd give them a chance. And granted, I'm sure those pictures are heavily edited. It is the Bachelor franchise. But even with editing, that hairline at 71, good for him. Oh my god. Hairlines are such a... For once, I actually kind of feel bad for men because hairlines are such a game of luck. Such a game of chance. And if you don't win that game... There's not much going back. You got to focus on some other shit or you have to go to Turkey. But for most people, you just you got to be like, let me get really good at a hobby. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Maybe you discover like you really love chess or something because you start balding. Anyway, this guy, this fella, Jerry, he said, I did some research. He's looking for someone high energy, someone who maybe plays pickleball, someone who maybe plays golf. Can we also discuss pickleball? First of all, I've never seen like a sport be trending before other than like it's football season. I guess football is the sport that's trending. But pickleball, the first trendy sport I've seen in my lifetime. And I got to give some credit to the old fellas and broads who are out there because they were the pioneers. Did you notice that when people are like pickleball is the hot new game? It was not your like cool Gen Z friend 
with the sexy marketing internship. They were not the ones playing it. It was your aunt and uncle. Those old folks, they were the pioneers of pickleball, and I just have to give them some credit. We always say the hot new things come from the the hot young people. Not in the case of pickleball. Those hags were pioneers. This guy also says um, he, quote, wouldn't discount getting married again. And I like that because usually when people go on The Bachelor, they're like, I want to get married more than I want to breathe. This is all I want out of life. This is all I could ever ask for. If I leave this place not married, killing myself immediately. And there's something to that, too. I admire the the passion. I admire being goal-oriented. But to just have someone on there who's like, mm, I could get married. Mm, maybe I'll get married. What, should I get married? That's that's sort of a, a more real energy to me. That's something that I can understand. Because I've only ever been in favor of like getting married for the sake of getting married if it's perhaps for a bit or to immediately get divorced so you can call yourself a divorcee. Those types of things, important things. Not these insignificant things like saying that you're married. Nobody cares. If anything, it's a bit off-putting. You ever meet someone? By the way, these people in The Regular Bachelor, they're like 25 years old talking about how they want to get married right now. You ever talk to like a 27-year-old at a party, you're having a good time, conversation is flowing, and all of a sudden they're like, my husband... Sorry? Sorry? I remember once I was talking to this girl, this was kind of everything. I was talking to this girl at a party and we were, the topic of boys came up and she was like, oh yeah, I would love to date a guy like this. Like, I don't know. There's something endearing about that. And all of a sudden she was like, oh, but I'm married. As if she just randomly remembered. And I don't really know what the marriage situation was like for her. Maybe it was a green card thing. Maybe it was something. It didn't seem like she was a traditional married woman, but I thought that was hilarious to just be talking about what you want to do dating wise and be like, all right, I'm married. Oh my God. (laughs) By the way, I'm married. Jarring though. Anyway, the golden bachelor. So we do not yet know who the ladies on this are going to be. And, I mean, please be old. Please be old. Let's see some old people date each other. Even though part of me is like, can you imagine if they just put the regular contestants in with this 71-year-old bachelor? They're like, this is Sarah. She's 24. She's a pharmaceutical sales rep. And she loves to do activities. Because that's what they always do on those shows. It's like, what I'm really passionate about is doing stuff and having experiences. I'm really passionate about having experiences. And then the old guy could be like, yes, I've had so many experiences. Ever hear of war? Ever hear of the Great Depression? You want to have some new experiences? Try those on for size. How about that? That might be fun. But I most certainly will be tuning into this show because I am trying to see some old people date each other and maybe these people can like actually connect over some actual things wouldn't that be exciting let's get some people who have 
who have experiences. Let's get some people who have, like, baggage. Some real shit. Not the, like, oh, this guy on Love is Blind has a chip on his shoulder because somebody was mean to him in third grade and now he's calling his new wife a bitch. That's not enough baggage. That's not enough. Come on, who died? Whose house burned down? Who went to prison? That kind of stuff. I, w- I think what I really want is just to watch Desperate Housewives. But this, actually, this guy kind of looks like Mike from Desperate Housewives, the plumber, Susan's man, on and off, but still. It's just, as somebody in her early 20s, I feel the responsibility to say, enough with casting people in their early 20s in these shows. Unless it's like a Love Island kind of thing. That makes sense. But for The Bachelor, something like that, it's not terribly interesting. It's really not, because when you're, like, I'm 23, when you're this age, you just kind of go into a date, and you're not thinking, like, are we compatible? Are we going to be accepting of one another? Do our lifestyles align? You just go in, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to have dinner with a hot guy. Yeah, I think that's, those are my plans for tonight. And that is a lovely part of being in your early 20s, and not having to worry about setting down roots right away and going into a date, hoping that it ends in marriage. But there's also like nothing to talk about when it comes to actual compatibility, which is why the people on these shows are always like, oh my God, we like the same movie. We're soulmates. That's what being young is all about. It doesn't matter what your values are. It doesn't matter the the logistics of your life and if you want to have kids and if you want to live in the suburbs or the city it's just like oh we chose a restaurant and i liked the food there perfect we're soulmates for now that's what it's all about and it fares much better in real life than on television i have to say i can't wait to see these old people date each other another thing that's been trending online The concept of girl dinner, I learned about this. This is one of those things that goes viral on TikTok, and it's like, this is a girl thing. There's always something. There was an excerpt from an article about the phenomenon of girl dinner that was like, yeah, I was just on a hot girl walk with my friend when I came up with the idea of girl dinner. Like, this is what we're talking about nowadays. And you know what? I'm talking about it, too. So I can't even complain. But the idea is... um, Girl dinner is just kind of bits and pieces of food. It's a bit of a charcuterie board situation. It's like meat, cheese, bread, olives, that sort of thing. And first I have to say, if this is not the way you eat on a regular basis, I have no idea how you keep yourself alive and hats off to you because I have never been that girl who's just going to cook herself a meal Cook a boiled pasta on one side of the kitchen, cook chicken in another. I mean, I, I do it occasionally, but it takes a lot out of me. And if every meal I had to eat would be an actual, had to be an actual meal, I would die, I think. I would die. I like an assortment. I like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Half a bagel, a loose, hard-boiled egg, that kind of thing. But it did get me thinking, is this really like the epitome of what girl dinner is all about? And are there no other ways to 
truly and authentically and boldly have dinner as a girl. And I came up with a few things that I think are also authentic versions of girl dinner. I'm so brain dead. Whatever, let's get into it. Okay, the first one, um, chugging an insure plus because you can't eat. I spent months of my life living this way. I feel like I've talked about it before. I had like a several month long span where I just could not eat. I don't know what was going on with me. Food was disgusting to me. And I would order off of Amazon 24 packs of Insure Plus chocolate flavor, obviously. And I would just keep those in the fridge and just chug, chug. My blood was made of Insure Plus. And don't worry, I tried to get as much, as many calories in as possible. I'm not trying to endorse anything, but I'm just saying that's a hell of a girl dinner. Another girl dinner is just one, um, bought for you by a man. But not only that, but like, kind of decided for you or in collaboration with a man. I think that's one of my favorite girl dinners is, uh, going out to dinner with a fella who has um, some strong opinions and being like, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. In theory, I'm against it because it's like, why should you decide what I have to eat? But in practice, people say nothing tastes better than skinny feels. You know what? Nothing tastes better than something you don't have to make a decision for. I think I would genuinely prefer to have something that I don't like as much, but that is decided for me. Is that anti-feminist? Is it anti-feminist if I'm just talking about dinner? Perhaps I am a traitor to my gender because occasionally I like a, a hunk to tell me that I do want the tuna tartare. Lock her up. Lock her up. Another girl dinner, um, buying snacks from CVS because you forgot to go grocery shopping. That's a classic one. I am... And I count my blessings every day. I am fortunate enough to live right near a 24-hour CVS. And it has saved my life on many, many occasions. And when I don't feel like taking that trek out to Trader Joe's, because God knows in New York, the only way to spend like less than $1,000 grocery shopping is to go to Trader Joe's, despite the fact that it's not really a real grocery store and you can't exactly create an adult meal out of out of the selection that they offer. When I don't feel like making that trip, I like to go to that CVS. You get like a bag of chips just for the calories, maybe some, maybe a little yogurt, protein, and there you go. That is a version of girl dinner to me, a girl. By the way, shout out to the person who one time recognized me when I was buying just Fritos at CVS extremely, incredibly, woefully humbling experience. One of my top, I think I've been, I have been recognized at that CVS, not to brag, at least three times. Four, maybe. I'm, I'm going to say four. I am a goddamn CVS celeb. Even though nobody's asked me to sign their like six foot long receipt yet. But there's a first time for everything. And the last girl dinner, I will say, anything with salmon. I was just thinking about this. Is there anything more 
in tune with the, the female experience than eating salmon. I never feel more authentically me. Anyway, speaking of girls, I recently received a copy of a book that has been long awaited by me and many others, a book that many thought would never be released, a certain memoir called Scammer by Caroline Calloway. And if you're unfamiliar, I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're familiar with the lore of Caroline Calloway, the alleged scammer and dear friend of mine who um, became a notorious figure on the internet and was known for not following through with a lot of projects. And she did finally follow through with this book. And I have it right here with me. Hardcover. Hear that? Hear that? I have a real-life copy of Scammer. I will say the spine did break a little bit. It is falling apart a little. Um, and inside, there's, you know, quite some chaos and a few typos. I can't deny that, but nonetheless, I had a great time reading this book. And let me, let me just review it a little, go through a few points. And first of all, I have to acknowledge that I am in the acknowledgements. It's a very long acknowledgement section. It's probably like 20 pages or something, but still an honor. This is what it says. It says, Serena Shahidi, you're so fucking depressed and fucking I love it. I think that was a typo, but love. Because I'm so fucking depressed too. You make me feel like there is nothing to hide. And so often I feel I am resisting the urge to remain hidden. You inspire me. You delight me. You make things that make me want to make things too. Oh my god. How beautiful is that? Say what you want about Caroline. She is a great friend to have if you're depressed. And during the time she was writing this book, I was certainly going through it and like FaceTiming her um, to have breakdowns. But I love even me being depressed inspires her. How beautiful is that? So the book itself, it starts with um, a quote at the beginning, actually one of my favorite quotes ever. What is it? We are only what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. Great quote. Great quote. Such a good insight, too, into whole the whole, like, influencer personality thing. Because when you get into it, when you get into this life, when you start acting a certain way on the internet, nobody tells you, you gotta be a little careful. Because you kind of become who you pretend to be. People like to say people on the internet are fake. And, you know, sure, they are. But, like, it's also kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you got to be strategic with who you pretend to be. She starts the book um, by talking about how she has never had an orgasm. That is immediately the first three paragraphs. There is some pretty explicit sex talk in this book if you're interested in that, but she really knows how to grab your attention. It's not exactly like a linear memoir. It's full of random stories and random, a lot of confessions. And she, 
my dear Caroline can get a little defensive in here, you know, kind of understandably, but I like, she owns up to a lot of shit in this book. She owns up to a lot, and I really respect that. Not saying owning up to something makes up for it, but it is what should be done in a book. Because I feel like a lot of public figures, they're like, okay, I'm going to write a book about my life. And then they like go through their Wikipedia page and they're like, this is what happened to me, but they just kind of rephrase it. And that doesn't really intrigue me. I think it takes a certain hubris to be like, as a public figure, I am so interesting that if I just write my own Wikipedia page and my own words, it's going to be flying off the shelves. I don't need to say a new thing about nothing. But Caroline talks about, she talks about lying on her application to Cambridge. She talks about generally lying a lot. I like that she gets very into her Adderall addiction that she suffered with at a certain point. Um, because I feel like there's a little bit of a stigma to that if you bring up that Adderall can be a little addictive. Because, of course, like some people do need it. Sure. But also, some people need Xanax if they like have panic attacks. Doesn't mean you can't have an unhealthy relationship with Xanax. Famously, you can. And I wouldn't be surprised if Adderall addiction became, I don't know, a bigger problem as we obsess with productivity and we get to a point where if you display the slightest bit of regular human behavior, you have to post about it on TikTok and call it like executive dysfunction. I don't know if that's healthy, but I have all the sympathy in the world for that addiction because like, damn, it, it's, it is hard to get stuff done. It's hard to stay awake and focus and do things. Some addictions you know, I also have all the sympathy in the world for, but I don't really understand. Gambling, not exactly my thing. I am not personally like, let me breathe in some recycled air and blow some money. But I do really understand when people are like, okay, I am going to go to a sketchy doctor rated one star on Yelp so I can get a bunch of Adderall so I can like actually do something like that. That makes perfect sense to me. Not endorsing it, but I'm just saying if you're struggling with that, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, she also, Caroline also talks about her father's suicide, which I had never, even personally, never heard her talk about in detail. And I mean, that part of the book was devastating. To know anyone who dies that way is devastating and it came when she was dealing with the fallout of her whatever you want to call it cancellation scandal i love the advice for like anyone who's being canceled to swim parallel to the shore she i wrote this down because i love this quote if you've never had a scandal before continue to have none if you've had one scandal then begin having as many more as you can this way each bad news item about you becomes a smaller pie slice of your public identity Great advice. And I feel like this is something we all got to learn because everybody's going to get their 15 minutes of fame. I think, what did Andy Warhol say? Everybody is going to be the, the main character on Twitter for one day in the future. He was so right. He was so right. And I have certainly been there. Okay. 
So I think regular people, even non-public figures, you got to know what to do. And you can't, you can't push back too much. You got to lean into it a little bit. I saw on Twitter, not voluntarily, but through Elon's godforsaken, like, for you tab on Twitter, I saw someone, I wouldn't even say what it was about because it's irrelevant and not interesting, but someone tweeted something that was, like, kind of controversial, just in, like, a Twitter way of, like, he didn't really say anything wrong, but people just always have shit to say. And for some reason, I kept getting his his tweets suggested to me, and this fella was losing his mind. Like, every person who replied to him and was like, I don't like that you tweeted this, he would, like, personally respond, screenshot. I was like, somebody get this man a tranquilizer. This is a crazy way to behave. This is not what you should be doing. I mean, take it from me. You ever have a scandal? You gotta... You got to lean into it. Make it a part of your brand. Don't reply to every single thing. Reply to a few of them if you have something funny to say. But for the most part, relax. My God, take it in stride. Nobody can even handle being canceled anymore. Maybe it's just a matter of like if kids were never mean to you in middle school, like you don't know what to do when somebody tweets you something mean. Because some people are much better at handling it than others, but you just can't take it too seriously. That's what, when we're teaching these kids about the internet and we're telling them, whatever, all the normal stuff, the internet is forever, don't talk to Colleen Ballinger, whatever, we should be like, don't take it so goddamn seriously. Don't get so defensive. It's kind of fun that strangers on the internet have an insane perception of you. That's a little bit funny. So what? Anyway, that those are a few of the things she talked about in the book. I really liked the book. I thought it was chaotic and um, at many points earnest and just very Caroline. So I would recommend, but maybe get some tape for the spine. Anyway, let's answer a couple questions. From Instagram, somebody wants to know, advice on a friend failing the Bechdel test 24-7. I like talking about men too, but not when they're fugly. Okay, work. Here's the thing. Okay, we all know some some girls who are constantly failing the Bechdel test. Is that how you pronounce it? I hope so. I'm not going to look it up. There's kind of, there's two ways to, to fail it. And I would... I would call them like admiration versus desperation. Because on one hand, it could be somebody who's like, ooh, look at that boy. Love that. I have some friends when, when we get together, it's just like, we're looking at boys, whatever. We're like, ooh, I went on a date. It was fun. He was cute. I think that, I think that kind of failing of the Bechdel test is fine. Nothing wrong with the, with the, admiring. Let them do that. If that's the problem, if your friend is always, you know, she has her eye on somebody, but she's having fun doing it, let her do that all day. I think we could use more of that in this world. A little bit of window shopping. But when it's like out of desperation, that gets annoying. 
That gets annoying. Your friend who's like, oh my God, he hasn't texted me for half an hour. What does that mean? Should I send this text? No. Is it too risky? It's too risky. It's always like, by the way, those people are always talking about just like texting. Like, I think the exact phrasing of a text is probably less significant than just the way you are when you're actually around them. But whatever. When somebody is like that and they're just constantly spiraling or do you think he likes me or what should I do? Whatever, whatever. Oh, unacceptable. Unacceptable. I can't stand... I respect an overthinker um, when it comes to, like, I think a lot of creative people are overthinkers and they just have too much going on in their minds. But when people are overthinkers about whoever it is they're seeing, girl, I want to have you lobotomized. There should be an ice pick in your eye right now. What is going on? Anyway, there's like two ways to approach this situation. First of all, the nice way is to just be like, find something non, non-boy non related to do together. Let's go on a hike. Let's go to a, let's go to a paint and sip. People always, by the way, use that as like an idea of an activity. Just like, let's do a paint and sip. Never done that in my life. Who does that? When I sip, I want to sip, not do something. Uh, maybe start a book club with this friend. Give them a book you liked. Be like, hey, this is something interesting that you might want to read, not something about boys. Don't pull the move in book club starring Jane Fonda and give her Fifty Shades of Grey. Give her, I don't know, The Old Man in the Sea. Oh my God, she'll probably be like, the old what? Ugh. But you could do that and just be like, this is us girls. This is girl time. We're not talking about any boys. This is girl time. Or you could do it the less nice way and just kind of tell her to be quiet, which is also fine. And I historically have done this with friends, especially when it comes to men. Just it is fine sometimes to be like, I cannot hear any more about this guy. If you speak one more word about this man, I will have both of us and him put down like dogs. Sometimes somebody has to hear something like that from you. Because when you are that person and you're incessantly talking about some goddamn thing, you you kind of need to be called out. When it gets annoying, like that line in Mean Girls where she's like, I could feel myself becoming annoying, but I couldn't stop. We've all been there. And I would rather just find out that somebody isn't interested in what I'm talking about. Even if it's like a lighthearted, oh my god, here she goes. Talking about that boy again. She'll get the memo. Next question. Speaking of telling somebody that they're being annoying. Okay, how do you gently tell somebody that they should be in therapy less? Oh boy. Wish somebody would have told me. I mean, my God, here I am. Okay, this is annoying as well. As we all know, the people who go too hard with it and all of a sudden everything has to be analyzed. Everything has to be put into therapy terms. I am not here for it at all. And when they start analyzing you, when they start analyzing me, I don't care for that one goddamn bit. What you learned in therapy is about you, not me. You're talking about your issues. When your therapist is replying to you, they're looking in your file, not mine. 
You wish you had my file, you freak. Anyway, I think the way to do this, tell someone they need to be in therapy less, I think you should try to make it like a little bit of a compliment. A little bit of a compliment. And it kind of is, right? To say, you don't need to be in a ton of therapy. That's a nice thing to say to somebody. But something along the lines of, good for you, go into that goddamn therapist. But also, you, you do just fine on your own. Love that for you. When they start talking about how, like, their dad worked a demanding job, and that's why they are the way that they are. And that's when you go, you know what, I think you are handling that deep trauma just fine. No, you don't have to keep talking about it. It's okay. It's okay. You are doing all right. Even though your neighbor had to drive you to ballet practice once, you are dealing with that so well. I mean, most of us would crumble under the pressure. I would say also try to push them away from all that therapy talk. That therapy talk, when they start coming at you with the like, these are my boundaries, that's when you say, don't say things like that to me. Enough about the boundaries. I just asked you if you wanted to go to dinner and you don't want to go. You just say no. Not everything has to be a, a boundary. Who are you, Jonah Hill? Oh my God, that's what you say. The next time they start talking about this is what you say. You go, who are you, Jonah Hill? Hello? What am I in that piece of shit movie with his therapist in black and white? I feel like I'm in that piece of shit movie. So boring, by the way. Oh, my God. Thank God Jonah Hill's a bad person. So I don't have to feel bad about how much of a snooze fest that was. And I would just say, ultimately, if I had a friend who was doing too much therapy, I would just probably start making fun of the way they're talking. Because these people need some perspective. The next time you're told that your feelings are valid, just get on your knees and thank God for your valid feelings right in front of them. And commit to the bit, too. And that's that. Well, this is going to be a bit of a short episode, but let me just end it with my media of the week. What have I been consuming and loving? I have to say, mostly, I've just been watching horror movies. Yes, I say horror and not horror, because I'm a lady, sorry. But I saw a few that I really liked. I was just on a kick of some sort. I just felt like being spooked. I watched The Menu, which was very good, with Anya Taylor-Joy and that guy with the blue eyes. Um... Some very, very interesting eyes in that movie between the two of them. I have to give them credit where credit's due. But the menu is great. It's about, if you're unfamiliar, um, they go to like an exclusive restaurant and then the chef is up to some shit, basically. But it's, um, it's a little predictable, but beautifully done. Kind of reminds me of like Knives Out in the, the production or something. I don't know. The budget, I guess, reminds me of Knives Out. I also saw Barbarian, which I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but it's about this woman who she checks into this Airbnb, horrifying already, and she discovers that there is somebody else already staying there who already booked the Airbnb, and it's the two of them. At first, it's like 
oh, is this going to be a romance situation? And then it's like, oh, is he going to be scary? And it's neither. But then they discover some freaky stuff about the house, and it gets scary, genuinely scary. Hard to be genuinely scary, but it is very claustrophobic. Um, the guy, I guess the roommate of sorts, is played by that hot guy from It, and then Justin Long comes along and... um also discovers the scary stuff about the house. I don't want to give too much away, but very good movie. And the last one I saw, I did finally see Megan, the one about the, you know, fabulous little doll with the wig. And I didn't really know that the plot of that movie was like, a little girl's parents die, and then she needs companionship, so her aunt makes her this creepy little AI doll. It was much sadder than I expected. All the memes that were created about it, I was expecting, like, Drew Barrymore on her show, dressed up as Megan. Like, those were the the vibes that I was getting. It was actually very sad. But there's certainly also a bit of a campy element to it, which is all a little orphaned girl can ask for. So anyway, that is all for this episode. I have to go fail the Bechdel test, but I will talk to you next time. Bye!